Welcome to Scores and Pours, the podcast where you learn about wine and classical music, hosted by myself, sommelier Jill Mott, and radio host, Ms. Emily Reese. Today, we're going to ask each other questions about our respective fields. Check out patreon.com slash scoresandpours for a full playlist and a wine list, and consider supporting musicians you hear by purchasing their music. Hello, Emily Reese. Hello, Jill Mott. You're rolling up your sleeves. I'm rolling up my sleeves. You got some questions to ask. I got some serious wine questions to ask you. Actually, they're really not as much wine questions as they are about you and your relationship to it. Ooh, I guess mine is very similar. Yeah. I have questions to pose to you about classical music and your interpretation of it, of certain pieces. Well, isn't it called dropping the needle? It is. Drop the needle. Yes. Yeah, well done. We're going to drop the needle okay. in a blind taste. Yep. And not in an effort to like have to guess necessarily right. either the composer, the piece, or the wine, but to just see how they make us feel. Like yeah. what, I don't know, and if we want to kind of go in the direction of guessing, that's fun. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm going to start. Can Do I start? It. Yeah, All of right. course. I wanted to go back to perhaps your childhood. Oh, God. But maybe later. Okay, maybe. Freud. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe maybe middle school, high school. I'm not sure. Sure, sure. Yeah, whatever. Um, do you remember the first piece of classical music that you listened to that intrigued you or that you remember most or that, you know, you had one of those moments where you stopped in the driveway and listened to it in the car? You know, you, you couldn't leave the situation. Like, what? Mm-hmm. What's some of the first classical music memories you have? The thing I remember asking about or asking for was on uh, in the car, we had this cassette that had some Tchaikovsky stuff on it, and it also had Vivaldi's Four Seasons on it. And one side was like the 1812 Overture and Capriccio Italien, and I remember wanting to listen to that. And I... I wouldn't say that those pieces necessarily like hung on with me, but I know that I loved listening to them. And I especially loved the brass in the Capriccio Italian piece. It's, it's pretty cool. I would say those are probably some of my earliest memories of it, but I, I didn't really fall head over heels like in awe of it until I got to college, you yeah. know, so. Until yeah. you learned kind of the inner workings of it. Yeah, yeah. But, but I definitely recall wanting to listen to that cassette, especially on road trips and stuff, yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Instead of like, come on, Dad, can't we listen to Janet Jackson? It's <laughs> yeah. like, nope. nope. <laughs> Emily Reese just wanted to listen to Tchaikovsky. Yep, that's right. Yes. All right, so I've got one for you, Jill Mott. Okay. When did you decide to focus on natural wine? What was the transition like? How did it happen? So maybe there was a special wine that turned you on to natural wine or something. I don't know. Tell, tell me that story. It was actually working in a cellar that controlled their ferments, and I was responsible for rehydrating the yeast and pitching the yeast. 
And I was also in what charge. What does that mean? So when with wines, I guess I'll start from the beginning. Grapes come into the cellar and you have to, you know, take readings on them for their temperature and their bricks sometimes, their sugar level. Um, and you will, you know, you'll punch down the cap and you'll make sure that there aren't any off aromas uh, coming. You'll rehydrating the cap, kind of making sure it's covered with the must around it. And when it's at the right stage, you're going to pitch yeast to it. You're going to inoculate it with yeast, or you're going to let the natural yeast on the grapes do the work. And I remember seeing, you know, when when that it's such a special time when must like grape juice starts to smell like wine and it's, you know, 3% alcohol or 4%. There's just, and you, the smell of a ferment is just like, you, I had at one point, there were like 70 different bins of grapes, all from, you know, they were either from different vineyards or they were a different clone of Pinot Noir, say. And I remember how different they all smelled. And I, after I did my work, I would go and I would take a note pad and I would write how different, like different aromas. Sometimes I would taste the juice or taste the kind of the new wine. And we had to rehydrate yeast and pitch, pitch the yeast to, mm -hmm. to kind of help the fermentation along and, and ensure that it fermented to dry wine. And I remember like thinking, why are we doing this? It's already it's already starting on its own, and it might be like the person that is not going to win the race, but they're going to finish. And then they all started to smell the same or or really similar. And you wondered, like, why why are we pitching Barolo yeast that was isolated, say, in Piedmont in Italy? Why are we pitching that on the West Coast? Mm. And to, to give certain aromas to a wine, which is can be nice, but it's not yeah. inherently what that wine should smell like. And I remembered questioning like why why would we do that and and then also going through other corrections like why am i what we have to add acid to this like this has acid already like why are we adding more or why, why are we filtering this or so just having performed those tasks and seeing the side of not performing those tasks mm -hmm. made me and this was back in like the mid 2000s made me start to focus more on wines that were not made that way. Yeah. Okay, my turn. Yes. There's a lot of fluffy music out right now. I can't believe what top Just right now. <laughs> well, I no, <laughs> and I can't believe what top 40 music sounds like. Yeah. I feel like it sounds so much worse than top 40 music did 30 years ago, but let's not even yeah. go there. Yeah. What's the state of classical music today? Who's listening to it? Mm -hmm. How does it compare in a in a day and age where People just sort of need bass and noise. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of it kind of honestly does sound the same. Mm -hmm. How is What's the state of the state of classical music? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if I put on seven Mozart symphonies for you, they're all going to sound the same too. <laughs> I mean, okay. even though they're drastically different and nuanced. But so I will defend some of the fluff in that way. There is a, a, lot, of, a lot of great stuff out there, but there is a... a overwhelming majority of trash and garbage. And I would say, though, rather than focusing on that, the state of classical music is, I think, still okay. Um, it's a large world, and especially, you know, I think 20 years ago, if you had asked me that question, I would have had a very different answer. But with the digital age, I think that's opened up so many opportunities for people to learn about it and love it mm -hmm. that wouldn't have otherwise had that opportunity. Um, you know, there's just like 
amazing orchestras around the world, in countries around the world, and on continents around the world. And there are a lot of passionate people out there in the world making great music and making sure that it'll survive. I, I don't think okay. there's any concern of it going anywhere. Yeah. So alive and well, and yeah. youngsters and people will say in their 20s and 30s, great musicians playing great music, playing, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's certainly not like, you know, country music's popularity yeah, <laughs> or yeah. anything like that. But, but I mean, uh, you know, music schools are full, and uh, that's not always necessarily a good thing. And, of course, that doesn't always translate to an audience uh, through, throughout their lives. But uh, people are still out there studying the craft and still playing instruments and learning and taking piano lessons and learning how to play the bassoon and, you know, that... That's, I'm going to start playing bassoon this summer. It's one of my goals. I mean, granted, if anybody wants to, when I talk about the ponying up and all that stuff and, like, be a Patreon, <laughs> what I'm saying is just send me a bassoon, just please. Just send a few thousand dollar bassoon. That just, would be great. Yeah. We'd make use of it. Two scores and pours. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, does that kind of answer yeah, your question? Totally, I just think, totally yeah, there's, there's a lot out there to be consumed and, and enjoyed, and there are still people composing. There's a lot of people composing. And, and also, don't forget that orchestral music is everywhere all around us all the time. In the TV we watch, in the films we see, in the games we play, we're hearing orchestral music all the time. And that brings in an audience in some in its own way, shape, yeah. and form. So, uh, you know, it's it's out there and it's going to stay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Fire, so let's taste it. Let's oh, taste it. Okay. Yeah, I want to taste. I want to taste it. I love it. Okay. Because we're going to listen next. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to look at it. I can't remember. Nope. So um, okay. if you want to pour yeah. some wine in this glass, and I'm not going to look obviously yeah. at you pouring. Oh, it smells like red wine. Well, it looks like red wine, too. This is like one of those, and literally when I was going through the International Sommelier Guild a long time ago, there are wines that you would sit and just go through all the different things, all the berries that smelled like, the dried ones, the fresh ones, the rotten ones, <laughs> and, this, and then there's something you're just like, white wine, it <laughs> smells like white wine. So I'll um, be curious as we go tasting it what more I smell, but my first instinct is like, oh. Eighteen ninety nine red wine. We'll see. It's like a hundred dollar burgundy or something. Thanks, friend uh, at Henry and Son for choosing this for us. Pour yourself some. I am gonna. So you gotta not look. Oh, okay. I've been waiting for this shit all day. <laughs> <laughs> Can I look? Uh, not quite. Yes. Okay. Mmm. Mmm. Smells like birthday cake. It just smells like it could be from nine different countries and nine different packeted yeast strands to scores and pours. Scores and pours. Or maybe not. Maybe it's indigenous yeast and the like. We'll, we'll get there. What do you think when you smell it? Though? I mean, I know, see, you, this is what's hard for us is that you want, you are just unable to not try and figure out where it's from and we've, what it is. And we've been trained to do yeah. that, right? Like, I'm going to yeah. let you listen to something, and we're, the goal is to not try to guess, but yeah. inevitably we do that. Yeah, and that's I know. awesome and really annoying. I know. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, okay. It's very dark. Without trying to figure out what it is, I haven't tasted it yet. I think that there's this, like, red berry notion. I, I just think it's sort of, this could be a $100 burgundy. 
for all I know. And I would say it, but it doesn't, it just kind of smells. I oh, can't wait it, for you to taste this. All right, okay. <laughs> Either it's 11.5% alcohol and super picked really unripe. Okay. Because we're not really getting a lot on the nose. To me, I'm getting like some red fruits. Yeah. But it doesn't really smell like much else. Yeah. It could be like a leaf day or something where it some is the wine is more kind of confined and closed. Okay. But I also on the palate, it seems really acidic, like aggressively acidic. And this is to me like a delicious quaffer. If this were fifty dollars, I'd be like, You're insane. If you said this is twenty five dollars, I'd be like, Oh, yeah, this is like worth twenty five bucks. It's like easy drinking and mm-hmm. but it also is gonna now depend on what it is. Mm-hmm. Does it fill my soul? Maybe it will once I find out what it is. <laughs> well, what do you like about it? I mean, it's unoffensive. Or what interests you about it? Um, right now, honestly, nothing. Okay. Like it's kind of just there. Yeah. What do you think about it as I'm talking? Because I, I won't take anything you say and, and, oh, yeah, and no. feed, you know. But. Well, I mean, what would I say? I mean, I'm not going to, yeah. It's definitely got a ton of acidity, which surprises me. Very acidic. It could be so many things. It could be French. It could be Californian. Yeah. I could try to guess. Should we maybe taste a little more without knowing what it is? Like taste a little more later. Sure. Let it give some air. But Sure. And I hope that whoever is the winemaker, because we will at your winery and the importers, nothing that I say don't take offense to it because we're just, we're blinding. It's Well, fun. it's one o'clock on a Monday too. It's like. <laughs> well, I don't know about your world, but for my world, that's pretty normal. Are we ready to listen? Yeah, I'd love to. I would love for you to do the same thing, to listen. And of course, you're going to try to guess, and you're welcome to. But I would love to know what comes to mind as you're listening, and how does this music make you feel? Okay. Ready? Yeah. through that noggin it's very um salon era kind of piano where people would just sit around and play for each other as opposed to you know netflix and chill it would be like <laughs> That's let's, so great let's play some clara schumann or some fanny mendelssohn or whatever this is <laughs> and okay it's just like it could be later than that though too you know see i always want to know when I want to know when. And the fact of the style of it and how the left hand and the right hand are working together, I can make a lot of inferences about time. The harmony helps me determine time. This is tonal. It's, you know, what we call a tonal piece. It's mm-hmm. in a major key. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's lovely. I love it. 
Do you do you want to? Let's not guess. Should I just tell you? Yeah, just, just tell me. Gabriel Fauré. Oh, nice. And this is his number four nocturne, his Opus Thirty Six. Okay. So this was then late eighteen hundreds. Yep. So eighteen eighty four. Okay. So he was a yeah. he lived from eighteen forty five to nineteen mid nineteen twenties, I think. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And he taught Ravel. And yeah. I didn't want to give you something that you like. I knew you liked, yeah. or that I knew. you you knew I liked. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, no, I love that choice. I, I like I like him a lot. Yeah, be, because you can hear how Ravel took a lot of his influence and like just went yeah. in Ravel's Danny yeah. Man. Yeah, I mean, Foray is so beautifully lyrical. Because when I mentioned it, your eyes kind of like lit up a little bit, like. Knowing what it is, does that change your appreciation or your feeling about it? Or, I guess, I mean, I guess it always kind of gives you a little bit of context. Like, you know, earlier when I was like, you know, we're sitting around listening to Clara Schumann or Fanny Mendelssohn, that was earlier. So when you said foray, I was like, oh, okay. So now we're much later in the 1800s than before. So it really does paint a picture of what he, what music he was aware of at the time and what he was doing that was unique at the time. And so, yeah, it's always fun to find out. Does it make you feel, a certain, like, do you feel like, yeah, the salon era in France, blah, blah, or like, I'm tired and I want to go to bed because it's a nocturne. <laughs> like, what, how does it make you feel hearing it and knowing what it is together? It makes me want to listen to all of his nocturnes straight away. <laughs> it almost sets a stage in my mind where I can see someone playing that in an era for a small household of people, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not filling, we, we will eventually fill Carnegie Hall with this kind of music, but right now we're just playing it in someone's living room and it's amazing. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for choosing it. Of course. It was a good one. So fire, fire away. Oh gosh. Uh, I suppose I'd love to know. Uh, about because y- you even alluded to it in in one of the earlier things we were talking about about work that you've done on vineyards and I know you've done a lot of that which is really cool just to know the depth of the types of work that you've done in all the different places so uh, of all of that experience you've had where you've worked on site what has been your favorite I'll choose two if you don't mind. For two different reasons. You get one. No, I'm kidding. You can have two. <laughs> uh, my time in the Willamette Valley with Annie and Scott Schull at Raptor Ridge was pivotal for many reasons. Um, Scott ended up being like a second father to me, and I never expected that. I had never met them before going out. Um, and we, the three of us all, like we lived together. We got along so well. And it, just the relationship that I've kept with them is just I it's I don't have words for it really and the fact that Scott put so much trust in me you know at the time I was really young I hadn't even turned 30 and he was you know letting me forklift $30,000 worth of fruit into into our crusher destemmer or into our press or moving things around and and making certain choices that nobody had ever given me that responsibility in a cellar before. And that was, um, so that felt, that felt really great. Another, I won't mention where it was, 
but it was in Spain. And there are a lot of great producers out there who I adore who make natural wine. And there are a lot of producers who I adore who make natural wine that's not that natural. And I just want them to say, don't call it natural wine. Then it doesn't, and the word is starting to already, the two words together kind of bug me, but whatever. It's neither here nor there. That was really um, important to show me the funny business that was going on that people don't think is going on, you know, in the world of natural wine. And I had a conversation with a cohort the other day about a region that will remain nameless, but she said, I can't believe every wine in that region, it's a fortified wine region. Every wine is acidified. And I was like, yeah, that's what happens in that area. So to know the right questions to ask and also to just be able to taste for things, um, that experience in that Spanish cellar, uh, although I still really, I do enjoy the wines, you know which you can just tell when, like math doesn't work out right. Like, oh, all of this organic fruit is coming in from this vineyard, but this there's like way more kilos coming in than you said. So where's that fruit coming from? Stuff like that is mm-hmm. is just good to know that that's around in, yeah. in my world to be able to make adequate decisions and size up endeavors as they come, yeah. relationships as they come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, all, all right. right. Um, can you fill me with some wine, Emily Reese? I am yes. so empty. Yes. It has more of a familiar smell right now that it's just had a little bit of time to take in some oxygen and... Yeah. It smells French. Okay. It smells French. And it it smells French. <laughs> it could I, – I kind of am like polar – I'm kind of taking the Loire Valley. Like you said, you're trying to not to guess. But I'm kind of like Loire Valley is maybe going to go out the window. I'm not sure. Kind of – I don't know. Like if someone told me that this was from the Savoie or something, I might be like, well. Where's the Savoie? Like southeast – or excuse me – Eastern, central, kind of verging on the north. Um, but it's just kind of, it smells French. There are reasons why it could smell like all over the place. Do you want me to confirm or deny? I think it, I think it's from France. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Is it under $30? Yes. Okay. That helps. It's amazing that I that, because man, if this is $60 something, I'd be like, F that. Yeah. Can Okay. So divulge, please. Do you want to know the grapes or the name? Of, do you want me to just show you the bottle? Or what do you There's want me so to tell you? There's so many things this could be. Is this one grape or is it a blend? It's a blend. What region are we in here? It's kind of eastern, a little south of the middle. If if you divide it into four, it would be in the bottom. Kind of the right. south. It would be in the southeast, but kind of towards central. Okay, so when I said the Savoie, was I not that far off? Correct. That's why I was like, where's that? Because I know where Loire Valley is, which is badass. But <laughs> And so I knew it wasn't that. Okay, but. so when I said Savoie or like the Jura or something like Where's that. Where's the like Jura? Right by Savoie. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's like in the realm of like, so you smell that and you think it could, it's like something like Gamay, Trousseau, Pulsardi kind of something is what that smells like. It's kind of, but I, I don't know. What is it? Gamay, oh. Syrah, and Pinot. Well, who does that together? I These people. Okay, so what is it? They're from Gear, Coteau de Gear. Yes. <laughs> is this Savoie? Um, no, this is the. Oh, this is cool. Okay. Tell people what it is. I know we had to do this unveiling. Okay, so hold on. 
Yeah. All right. So <laughs> I guessed kind of Eastern, Western. I didn't want to guess, but I was like, is it Gamay, Pulsard, something, Jura-esque, Savoie-esque? Yeah. And I said, Emily, divulge. And she whipped the bag off. Show and she bottle. said, it's from the... You said the gear or something. The gear. Coteau de gear. Okay. And so these guys, I flipped it around, and I've wanted to taste this new vintage from this producer. I haven't tasted them in a, in a couple vintages. Okay. And I'm so thankful to my friend who chose this because everybody at work has been like, ooh, these wines are in. Let's, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you fucking, nerds. Fucking wine people. <laughs> so, so they're from, uh, their, their bigger region is the, like, the the IGP of the Cotu or the Cotu Rodien, like the greater Rhone area, but it's like a gotcha. swath that's like 100 times bigger than the Twin Cities metro area and all okay. the things. So it's kind of doesn't really tell you where it's from. Sure. But you also have access to Gamay, which is planted in the radius of 200 kilometers or whatever, <laughs> Pinot, Ansara. <laughs> Those three things together are like... Naming your kids something that everybody can make fun of. It's like, why would you put those three grapes together? Really? Yet, this is like a delicious package. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't... You're kind of taking the best of all those things, mm-hmm. like Gamay that's like f- nice and fruity and really high in acid. These guys definitely don't acidify, so they pick this stuff ragey. Pinot Noir oh. that's also got a ton of acidity. They Sur- picked it ragey. Jesus. <laughs> Syrah's got a ton of acidity. Gamay's got a ton of acidity, so they probably picked in this sun-kissed area. I bet they picked early to retain acid mm. and, you know, maintain freshness. But they what they've compromised is some varietal complexity, mm-hmm. like the bacony notion of Syrah, the complexity of Pinot Noir, the the ability to really transmit soil of Gamay. The fact that they yeah. perhaps picked too early. I said 11.5-ish, 12 or something. This is 12.5 yeah. um, from this area that's quite low in alcohol. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say I've pounded two glasses and nothing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, so what are your thoughts on the soil or the uh, storage? Um, I want to know that. <laughs> all right. Well, should we can – I, can I of course. go on to some music first? Yes, before of course, we begin? of course. Pour you some wine. Thank I just all, I love how all of a sudden I assume the yeah. wine role. I'm like, and I'll start pouring now. <laughs> like a damn couple here. Fun. So, just, what's the name of the orange? Uh, or the you. orange? <laughs> They're called Lou and pardon my French because I don't speak French except for when I swear on scores and pours. Lou de Plaude de Tartaras, and it's called Ciel d'Orage is the name of the wine itself. Um, they're imported by Selection Massal and. Just a, a really, really fun wine from your right, southeast, south. Central-ish. Central-ish, east. east. Yeah. 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 Okay, so before we go into vessel and, and soil. Soil. Let's. Yeah. Um, okay, music me, me. Yeah, come on. Are we going to listen again or are we going to ask I'm gonna, me? I'm a, I, okay. will, I will, but in a moment. Is there, in your opinion, a perfect piece of classical music? Yes. Don't I, shake your head, I no. I do every time. No, of course there is. A, no, I, I do it because it's just. My answer is always so funny, but it's just so true, and I just wish everyone understood. <laughs> Help them understand. Come Help on. them understand. To me, the most perfect piece of orchestral music, I have to use that as a qualifier. I have to. The most perfect piece of orchestral music 
is Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And I just think that's because every single movement is brilliant and ties together, and what he did with it was so innovative, and he, there were a lot of firsts with that symphony, and um, I, I just think its construction is just brilliant, and I don't think anybody's come close to creating a symphony with such perfection. I don't even think he did that with his Ninth Symphony, although that's pretty damn perfect, too. And then I have, you know, my favorite piano piece, and kind of, but, uh, but as far as orchestral music, like, what do I want to see every time it's in town, quote-unquote? I want to see Beethoven's Fifth Symphony live every time, all day. It's so good. <laughs> That's it's so, so great. Yeah. And, <laughs> and what makes it perfection? If you could just, I mean, without, you know, I mean, because I know that could be a dissertation of seven episodes of Scores and Pours. So yeah. in two minutes or less, what makes it the... To me, it's like the most beautifully constructed building that houses all the wonderful things that you want. You know, it's like it's like this beautiful building to look at, and then you go inside, and everything is just as beautiful. But that doesn't help. Meaning, like, I know, I know. <laughs> so, I wish I could. I just think, like harmonically, or like uh, I don't know, tempo, or I think the fact that he took four notes and created a symphony out of it—that's interesting and. Fun and beautiful and scary and lyrical and I mean it's just amazing. Maybe we'll just have one episode that's called like the perfect, you know, like for me it would be wine yeah. and for you and that would be the whole episode. Let's just dig into that. Yeah, I mean I I certainly could. I, each movement is special and uh, there were some firsts in there for something that hadn't been done before or at least is attributed to him doing for the first time and um, you know there's just some interesting things about it and I think with with Beethoven's third symphony was kind of where it became clear that he was giving everybody the middle finger he's like this is the way I'm gonna do it yep and then by the time he gets to five which wasn't that much longer after three uh, he he's gotten there he's he's he almost broke the way to write a symphony by writing it too well. And then everything after symphony number five is just kind of a crapshoot, really, mm -hmm. for whatever anybody wanted to do. Because he did what he wanted to do. And after five, it's like... I can tell Emily wants to talk. Wants wants to have now just the episode be about I know. Beethoven. <laughs> I know, but let's not. <laughs> okay. We better move on. So one of my favorite things to talk to you about, and I think this is, I remember the first time I asked you this because I was still a cigarette smoker at the time, which I have now not been for more than a year, but I asked you uh, one time, you were at the station where I work, and I asked you, what's your least favorite thing to taste? Because I know you go out and you taste Stuff. By by the time I asked you this, I realized you're tasting whiskey, you're tasting wine and beer and vodka and bitters and fermented shit you taste all the stuff so I was just really curious what is one like if somebody's like I need you to come taste my blank and you're like oh god what's my least favorite yeah I would I would probably say 
either vodka or bourbon. Yeah. And I I don't mind tasting them. I always learn something, but I feel like they have the bandwidth for intrigue, like cultural intrigue is next to nothing for me. Hmm. We could vodka there's just so many things I could say and I don't want to go down a rat hole, but those are the two that you can have a really nice vodka. There's a producer called Beat Vodka and they make awesome vodka. And there are some bourbon producers that I really like, but to sit and taste 45 vodkas is really tiresome. Why? And like, because it's just like hearing C and then hearing like the note C and then Mm -hmm. hearing C just two tenths out of tune and then three tenths out of tune and then five tenths out of tune and they're all out of tune. And then hearing like a perfect, like there's, but it's all dimensions of C. Like there's no getting out of C. And with bourbon, it's like, there's always this, and people that love bourbon won't admit this, but it's this sweet fest mm. that is based on strength, and it just ends up being the dimension that is there. You can find some fine, you know, refinement, but there's just it's kind of one dimensional for my liking. Okay, so cool. I mean, is it safe to say your favorite thing to taste is just wine, right? I mean, just wine, period, over any other alcoholic beverage. Yeah, wine lately too. If it's not wine, it used to be beer. And now there's so many malt extract made craft beers and just pilsners that taste the same that it's ridiculous. Yeah. So I kind of go between that. And Mezcal, I've never had a spirit that is as tied to wine in its notion of trying to find place. Mm -hmm. And there's, of course, some bad and nefariously made Mezcal too. Sure. But... Mom and pop shops that are like, you know, roasting things over fire, distilling things over, you know, distilling things over fire, aging them in clay and bottling that stuff is just, that's awesome. Cool. So from like certain species that are growing under shade in the forest. Yes, please. Nice. So. (laughs) Can I drink more than an ounce or two? No. But that's, (laughs) you know. Yeah. For a certain time. Yeah. So. Neat. All right. Let's go to my next question. Okay. That has to do with instruments. Oh, yeah. I want to ask what is your favorite instrument to listen to, but I think that that, you you know, we talk about things that you really like mm-hmm. on, throughout a lot of different mm-hmm. episodes, right? Yeah. What's an instrument that you're like, ugh? <laughs> it's just, it's like a little bit a bit in classical music, of course. Yep. This is funny because this has changed dramatically throughout the course of my life, which, you know, tastes change. I would have always said, and let me finish my point before anybody freaks out, I would have said up until a few years ago even that my least favorite instruments were flute and trombone. I don't want to go hear a flute sonata where... There's a piano player and a flute player on a stage. I don't want to hear a flute recital. Unless Lizzo's playing. Unless Lizzo's playing. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't, I don't. Always throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear a trombone recital where I go hear a trombone and a piano player play a trombone recital for an hour. I'm not, I'm not interested. Why not? Because I'd be like, word, give it up, I, you trombonist. Know, I get really sick of the limitations of instruments really fast. Okay. So when you're listening to a recital, oftentimes you're hearing a piece of music that can uh, 
Now, this isn't always the case, but oftentimes you're hearing a piece of music that, in theory, can demonstrate all the cool things about an instrument, right? We're highlighting this instrument in a solo piece. We want to hear how high it can play, how low it can play, how fast it can play, how lyrical it can play. You know what I mean? So I just get kind of tired of that. I don't want to hear that. That that. Now, now that I've painted myself into that corner, what I realized is... Paint what yourself said, out of that corner. Yeah, what I just said <laughs> is that I don't want to hear that with any instrument, generally speaking. I don't really want to hear a cello recital either, even though I love the fucking cello. I don't want to hear a, a trumpet recital, and I'm a trumpet player, but if I have to hear the Kent Kennan trumpet sonata one more time, I just don't want to hear that. I want to hear a trombone solo in a symphony. I want to hear the flute solo in Brahms 4. I want to hear, you know what I mean? That I love. And so what I realized as I aged is that it was the style of music, the the setting of the music that matters to me when it comes to instrument. I love all the instruments. I love oboe. I love celesta. I love crumhorn, for crying out loud. I just want to hear it in an ensemble. You know, for some reason, that's where I like to to hear that. So, so it's funny because my answer really is I don't have a least favorite instrument. I have a least favorite setting to hear instruments in, and that would be a, a recital type setting. Even though, and again, so I'm not painting myself into a corner. There are some really great, you know, violin sonatas, trombone sonatas, trumpet sonatas. There are some great mm-hmm. stuff out there to hear in that setting. Yeah, I think I got way burned out on it in college and it kind of I kind of stayed burned out on it. Well, to kind of paint myself into a corner as we're tasting this wine. Yeah. They took the most classic grape varietals and heralded in the red variety in France. Gamay for Beaujolais, Syrah for the Northern Rhone, Pinot. Pinot Noir from Burgundy and put them all together. And for me, is this wine really fun and delicious? Sure, but there's part of me as as you're talking I'm listening. Yeah. yeah. But as I just took a sip of it, I thought, I don't want to make verbal concessions for the fact that this producer I th- really adore. Yeah. I think the wine is great. And is it worth the, you know, $30 we paid for it? Of course it is. Yeah. It's a lot of type A's yeah. in a glass. Okay. And Interesting. they're all yeah. doing a great job at, they've only been roommates for three days. <laughs> And so, I, yes. you know, that's that's the that's all I'm going to say. Love it. What's it in? It's I, it could be stainless and concrete is what it feels like. Stainless, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Basically, because you can't taste, right? You can't. It's just all like lock yeah. them in a bundle. Like put this in some concrete, and mm-hmm. it would be fucking dope. Mm. Like let it breathe a little bit. Let, Interesting. Let give. Let them all be taped on a reality show, and then they can watch themselves. <laughs> That's, you know, and they can Some see like... Some voyeuristic varietals. You know, like... <laughs> That's the name of that vintage. The yep. voyeuristic varietal vintage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just let them like see what they could do and see which one starts to come out on top and which one misbehaves and that I would be... It, that would be... That would be great. Amazing. You ready for more? Uh, yeah, let's I've, listen I've to got, more. I've got a couple more, but I wanted to ask you... You've been learning a lot about wine. It's fun to hear. Once in a while, you send me a text of a like a tasting note, and I'm like an audible tasting note, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> I'll do a little voice isn't. memo. It's so great. Yeah, I'm wondering how are wine and classical music similar? 
I want to be like in a minute oh, or less, Emily Reese. I think I can <laughs> do it in a minute or less because remember earlier when I was like, who knows, maybe I even edited this out. I can't remember. But I feel like earlier I said something like, if I played seven Mozart symphonies for you, they'd all sound the same. Mm-hmm. Until you start learning about them. And then obviously they start to sound different. But initially, you're like, when you taste wine and you don't know anything about wine, you're like, oh, this tastes like wine. But you taste 30 wines, even if you taste seven wines or three wines, you can start to distinguish differences and interesting little personalities of the wines. And also actively, right? Because you could be drinking six different wines, like an ounce of each wine, and be like, well, this is good. Ooh, this is just like listening to music in the background, right? But if you're kind of trying to... Yeah. There's genius and beauty and personality in each wine, just like there's genius and personality and whatever other adjective I just said in, uh, in... you know, composers and and the pieces that they wrote. And then there's top 40 bullshit, and that's like conventional silo-made wine. So a question for you. What's been an unexpected benefit of you being in the wine industry? Like you had no idea that because you wanted to study this, you'd get to do that. Well, wine, I think what interested me about, um, what brought me to wine was the fact that wine allowed me to learn about so many avenues of life. Like I didn't start drinking wine because I got to like, I got drunk. I liked wine because I I was like, well, what is this region like? And why does this region have this mountain range? And geologically, what was happening in that time period? And, well, what composers come from that place? And, you know, stuff like that, right? So that, like, gets you down the rat hole of place. But I never knew that I would have the community of people. I never knew that when you're in the wine community – and in the hospitality community, and especially when you're in the right community, because there are a lot of like big distributors and brands, and people take you out for steak dinners and all that BS, and it's all broy and whatever. <laughs> That's definitely a part of like the liquor, wine, f- food industry. But like when you are in a close knit community and you're in the hospitality, wine, especially natural wine community, it's, um, the thing that's so great about it is with food and food especially, but wine when you consider it a healthy food stuff, like you have a little glass of wine with lunch maybe, that's something you can't not do every day, like eat, right? I mean, yeah. wine aside. So you start to like food is an inevitably something that humans think about all the time. Yeah. And when you think about food and or wine – a lot throughout the course of your day as a source of a, like a living. And then it ends up becoming, there's a caloric part of it too. Mm. It's an incredible, like an incredibly important way to, you you have to feed yourself. Yeah. And so through these foodstuffs and these like wine included, these people are feeding your soul. And in that way, like I, I never knew that, I was going to feel that way when I started out in wine and, you know, you keep meeting people and meeting people and, and the, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I could, that could go on forever about that, but yeah. Well, let's listen to one more. What do you mean? Let's listen to one more. I might have other questions for you, but yes. Okay. okay. Yes. Let's listen. So (laughs) put on the headphones, putting them on. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. So here we go.
Okay, so what what's going through your head? Because I'm gonna play. I'm gonna I'm gonna fast forward. Okay, this is a string quartet. The reason I chose this was because of this next snippet, and I'll play three snippets for you. Okay. So good. Yes. Ready? made me laugh. You know what they're doing that with, right? Yeah. The back of the bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then this will be last but not least. Okay. Okay, so how does it make you feel? What, do you, what are you thinking as you listen to this? Besides great choice, Jomon. Yeah, no, this is a great choice. I love string quartets, but I, I find string quartets to be fascinating because of how bare it is, right? It's just four voices. And it's a different intimacy to me than something like a solo piano piece, right? Because that's one person. But a string quartet is four voices, most of the time each person just playing one note at a time. And there's this special relationship between those four people they each have such an important role, and they're performing this lengthy piece together, usually, that has multiple movements, certainly not all the time, but sometimes. I mean, to me, it's just such a special spot in the world of classical music, the string quartet. It's it's like, think of the most simple wine or beer or spirit that you can think of. What's the? Sim- I mean, like, one would say... The pill, like a lager, a pilsner. Okay. But the pilsner is the one of the most difficult things to brew well, but it's light and bitter, and you drink it fairly cold, so people don't think it's... Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem complex. But it's super complex. But it's complex and difficult, yeah. and I feel that way with a string quartet as well, because everybody is has a super important role to play, and there's only four of them. Do you so want to know what it is? I do, yeah. So this is Donizetti. Oh, nice. Okay. Gaetano Donizetti. He lived 1797 through uh, the mid-1800s. He was yeah. from close to Milan in Italy, and this was written in 1818, um, and it was, you know. Okay, so I wasn't four, far off with Schubert, so that would have been, yeah, 1820s kind of. Okay. Four, four different movements, and nice. I think that the, what we listened to, um, the Playa Quartet Colne, it was very recently released, which is really nice. I'd never heard this version of it before. My favorite part about listening to that was how they mic'd up the instruments so you can hear violin one and violin two in different channels so you can hear there was one part in particular that you played something really rhythmic and you could hear how 
that's passing between instruments, whereas depending on how it was recorded, you might not have caught that because it might have all just sounded in stereo. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But because they separate the instruments out in left ear, right ear, or left channel, right channel, it's really neat. Well done. Yeah. Awesome choice. Thank you. Cool. I wanted to ask you, what piece of music do you think is brilliantly written, but you're not a huge fan of personally? Uh, Pretty much anything Wagner wrote. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. We've talked about him on the show, and you can yeah. research. Uh, I'm you not can... a huge Wagner fan. It's really dense for me, and you can apply that then to kind of that whole era of really densely scored, but it's, oof, is it brilliant? And there's some beautiful stuff in there that I do like, but generally speaking, I'm just not. I am almost never going to be like, hey, let's listen to Wagner. That's just not going to happen. Okay. That's fair. But again, brilliant, brilliant music. Do you have anything else for me before we go on? I mean, I do, but I I feel like there should really be just a part two someday. I always have questions for you and your wine journey. I find it fascinating and enriching to hear about it. So Okay, well, maybe we'll do a load of questions volume two at some point. Um, I was going to ask you about one of my favorite pieces of music, but I will refrain in lieu of oh yeah we're gonna do that whole thing oh we have to wait well yeah well i think we'll talk about that in a in a coming episode yeah but suffice to say we're both excited to talk about that someday holy god i listened to it this morning and i was like all day amazing shit we're now filling our drinking vessels so that we can appropriately cheers the end of this delightful episode it's always a pleasure learning about music from Emily Reese. So thanks for answering my question. And to a lot of type A's in a glass. This is the only time, one of the few times it tastes delicious. And to Jill Mott and learning more about wine. It's a pleasure always. To scores and pours. Scores and pours. for listening to Scores and Pours with Jill Mott and Emily Reese. You can find links and information about this episode at patreon.com slash scoresandpours and Instagram at scoresandpours. If you like the show, please consider making a financial contribution if you're able to patreon.com slash scoresandpours. Which means you're becoming a patron and donating money. Yes. Edited by Emily Reese and Jill Mott, our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media, Inc.